thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Chronicles. And that may not be a familiar book to you, but it's a book that's full of impact and possibility, at least, in our lives as we hear the Word of God through it today. We're looking at one verse. Don't get too excited. This doesn't mean this is going to be a mini-sermon. This will be a maxi-sermon. Remember, I didn't preach last week, so just buckle your seatbelt today, okay? So we're looking at 1 Chronicles 16, 11. These are words of God mediated through the person whom we know as David. Verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 16, 11, 16 rather, reads this way. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. I would imagine in a group this large, we have people who have entered the new year wanting more hope in their lives or more joy in their lives, better provision, better protection, more pleasure in their lives. Well, if any of those things describe you, then you have come to the right place with me today to the Word of God because this passage of Scripture promises these things based on God's character, which is most important, in our proper response to Him as our Lord. We are going to look in this verse at two basic things. First of all, we're going to consider the instruction that gives to us and associated instructions based on this verse of Scripture. And also, we're going to see the incentives that we have to obey the instructions. Let me share something with you that's kind of hokey, but it's helped me over the course of time when I think about the Bible. If you think about the letters of the Bible and make an acronym out of them, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Would you agree? If we want to know how to live this life in such a way that it matters, not simply for time, but for eternity if we have that as a goal in our lives, then we are to be men and women who go to the Bible because it's God's Word. The instruction that gives us, is given to us in verse 11 is rather simple. Seek the Lord. So what does it mean to seek the Lord? Let's begin by looking at the name of God that He gives Himself. It's the most commonly found name of God in the Old Testament, Lord. And if you have your Bible, it's likely that the word Lord is in all caps. Sometimes when we read the word Lord in the Old Testament, it only capitalizes L, and the O-R-D is in small case letters. When we see this word, and this is the way the word Lord comes to us most often in the Old Testament, it's speaking of Jehovah God or Yahweh. It's the God who reveals Himself. 
It's not only that. It's the God, listen carefully, who is what we need Him to be in any and every crisis in our lives. Not necessarily crises only, but also everything that we deal with in life is bundled in this word, Lord. The Bible says about the name of the Lord in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and he or she is safe. The safest place on earth is the name of the Lord, the person who is behind the name. Perhaps you know that whenever something is stated in Scripture about being the name of an individual, it always is speaking of the individual himself or herself. That's true here, obviously. Let's think about some of the characteristics of the Lord being a strong tower. The Bible says, for instance, in Psalm 23, 1, you know how it begins. Well, how does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd. And the word Lord is the same word here. And it's hyphenated in the Hebrew, and it's Yahweh-Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Another one of those compound words using the word Lord is Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord is our provider is the way we normally interpret that. But we do something a little out of line when we limit our thinking to that because the basic idea of Jireh is not providing. It is the word which indicates the Lord who sees the future. He sees the future. He knows what lies ahead. Have you ever thought about the word provision in English? The word vision is there, isn't it? And it's prefixed by pro, pro. If you're proactive, what does that mean? You don't wait until you're in a crisis to act. You make provision in, a, in anticipation of possibilities that are critical in your life. Well, when we think about the Lord in this text, we could go on and on. This is not a message about Proverbs 18. I could give an entire message on that today. But suffice it to say, we're looking at the Lord who is everything we will ever need. And His name is a strong tower. Where do you go when you find yourself in a crisis? There's only one safe place. We read from David's psalm in Psalm 7, O Lord, my God, it is you I take refuge in. Did you take, catch that? The first line. It's you in whom I take refuge. When I was a little boy, I was probably four or five years old. I have a, a vivid memory of this event. And uh, it was summertime, I know that. And I was in my normal attire. The only clothing I had on were underwear and short pants. No socks, no shirt. That's the way we ran in my neighborhood. I don't know if that was based on the heat, and it was very hot in Memphis in the summer, very humid and hot with degrees of temperature. It could have been based upon low income of our fathers who were our providers. But I remember one day I was playing with the next door neighbor. His name was Robert Wilder. And he was affectionately known by his family as Butch. And Butch was probably about a year and a half older than I and probably a head taller than I. 
and I did something to aggravate him. I don't remember what I did to make him mad, but he started running after me, and I ran away from him. Our houses were right next door to each other, and I went to the front, and there were probably five or six concrete steps before I got on the landing through which I could walk into my house. So I'm running for my life. I get to the landing. The screen door was not locked. I got inside the screen door, and then I latched it, and then I glared at him through the screen door, and I said, Butchie boy, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> well, look, I had enough intelligence to know that Butchie boy would lay me low in a one-on-one, -on -one. but if I got behind that door, I was safe. Why did I feel that safety? Because I was in my father's house. And my father, I thought he could do no wrong. I learned differently as I matured and became a father and how inadequate I felt as a father and how far, far short I thought, fell in my own fathering. But I was safe because I was in my father's house. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it, and he or she is safe. If you run or I run into any other place of shelter besides the shelter of our Lord, we are not going to have a life that is safe in this life or in the life to come. We have to count the cost because the Lord, if we seek the Lord, we count the cost. We're called to do it because Lord suggests superiority. Lord, there's only one Lord in the universe, one. Everyone else is in a subservient position. Fortunately, blessedly, we who know God through Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Bible says, is our Lord. Jesus the Son is our Lord. And later today as we explore this message, we know the Holy Spirit of God Himself is described as the Lord too. And we submit ourselves to them. This is our rightful position as men and women created in the image of God that we serve the Lord. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time He might exalt us. There'll come a day when we enjoy in full reality who we are in Christ based upon what Christ has done. Jesus makes this question that haunts me often. He speaks it and it's recorded in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Hypocrisy too much part of my life. I'll say the Lord did this, the Lord led me to do that, etc., etc., ad nauseum. And what I realize is I need to be willing to live in a submitted relationship to Jesus Christ as my Lord. And that is part of seeking the Lord for sure. We're to seek in two ways. Seek His strength. Look again at the text. Seek the Lord, and the first thing that is added here, and His strength. Seek the Lord and His strength. That raised a question in my mind as I was preparing this message. 
What are the alternatives for me when it comes to seeking strength? Well, obviously, I fall back on my own strength. But we read about the testimony of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And in that passage, we encounter a man who is in dire need of help. He had what he describes as a thorn in his flesh. That has been greatly debated over the centuries as to what constituted that thorn. Most scholars, and I agree with them, believe he's talking about a disease of some sort that he was faced with. And so he was asking the Father to remove it from him. Now let me ask you a question. By this time in the Apostle Paul's life, had he been used by the Spirit of God to bring healing to people? Read the book of Acts and look at references that Paul makes in passing, if you will, in his 13 epistles. And what you will discover is, yes, God used him to bring healing to people. But here he was, the man who often found himself in the place of being a healer, and he couldn't heal himself. And he was begging God, God, heal me, heal me. And three times God said, no, no, no. Sometimes God does not choose to heal us in this life. And the result of that is frustration in our lives, just like I sensed, I hope you did too, when we read from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and following, Paul was frustrated. And then God, in effect, said to him, Enough, Paul, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Your weakness. And then Paul went on to respond by saying this, when I am weak, then I am strong. That seems contrary to what should be true. But what happens until we recognize that apart from Christ, we can do nothing of value. And we lean on the Lord. He is a strong tower. And when we run into Him, we have all these things that we would desire, joy and hope and peace, and protection, and provision, and pleasures, all those things. They may not be defined by the way we have been used to defining them, but that is certainly the truth. In Jeremiah 45.5, Jeremiah speaks to his protege, Baruch, and he says to him, Do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. It's dangerous to seek things for ourselves. Why? Because our God is a jealous God. And people say, wait a minute. I thought God is perfect. He is. What it means when it says He is jealous, He reserves the right and authority to be the center of attention in our lives. And when we begin to violate that one thing that he reserves for himself, glory. What is glory? Well, glory is being the center of attention to simplify it for us. 
He's the one, he's the hub of the wheel around all, around which all the world and the people in it are to revolve. It's no secret that I'm a sports fan and I'm particularly a football fan. I was watching the University of Missouri and the Ohio State University play a week ago, Friday night, and I saw a player on the Missouri team whom I had been introduced to, unfortunately I might add, about two or three weeks earlier when his team, Missouri, was playing my team, the University of Tennessee. And that young man, his name is Corey Schrader, in that game against the Tennessee Volunteers, that young man set a record that will perhaps never be broken in the Southeastern Conference. He, in the same game, ran the ball for over 200 yards. That's two football fields. And there were several times he touched the ball to get that, over 200 yards. He also caught enough passes and ran after catching the passes over 100 yards. I had never seen a performance like this. And he was a no-name two years ago. He was a young man who grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. He played football four years. His father would not let him play football until he was in the eighth grade. His father wanted him to be a baseball player. He didn't want his son to get beat up on and hurt, maybe wrecked for life in some way. But what happened was in his high school career, listen to this, he gained 6,759 yards. That's almost five miles of running the football. And he did not get one offer from a Division I football team to come play. Not one. He did get an offer from Truman State University in downstate Missouri, which was a Division II school. He went there, and he didn't mope around because he didn't get a Division I opportunity. He played just as hard there as he had in high school and just as hard as he later did when he finally caught on with the Missouri Tigers for one year. He graduated from college, went as a graduate student, had one year of eligibility left, and that's when he began to rack up all these impressive things. And then in the game against Ohio State, Missouri was the underdog, and they beat Ohio State. If you followed it, you know that. And he was questioned after the game. And I knew there was something different about this young man. He was not an ordinary young man because he was always overcoming the odds. I wanted to know what made him tick, and I was quite confident without really seeing evidence of it, it had something to do with Jesus Christ. And that suspicion bore out to be true. I found, as I hunted and hunted and hunted, I found what he said after the game, which led to the victory over Ohio State. Listen carefully. My only goal was to play. So all these accolades, all these awards, it came, comes with just the work. I'm living, listen carefully, in an answered prayer, 
when you're living in an answered prayer, you give all the glory to God because this is what I've been praying for since I was a kid, he said. And what he goes on to say here, when this all came to fruition, meaning his career and the success he had and being a star in the game when his team upset a superior opponent. It all came to pass. It's all God. It's all His glory. It's all for Him. And understood why did He make that? I'm talking about God now. Why did the Lord make or let Him sort of be in the shadows for five years? And then all of a sudden, He bursts on the scene and he was actually in the top seven or eight vote-getters for the Heisman Trophy, which is the trophy is given to the best football player, according to the pundits at least. Why? Because he knew there would be that moment in Corey Schrader's life that he would have a platform and all the sports world would be listening. And it would be in that moment that he would give glory to God. God created you and me just as he created Corey Schrader to bring honor and glory to God. Sometimes God's orders make no sense to us. Have you thought about that? He tells us to do things and why that, Lord? But we can count on him that he leads us in the way everlasting, the Bible says. He leads us in such a way that we will honor Him and the residual that comes to us is incredible. Sometime during my being ill, I was flipping through the channels and I noticed in the menu that the movie 300 was on. You know the movie 300? I've seen it quite often, not necessarily from beginning to end, but I always like the ending. And we know King Leonidas, king of Sparta, was there with his men, along with other representatives of city-states in Greece, as Xerxes I was bringing his incredibly large and powerful force. It's estimated, depending upon which historian you read, that his army was anywhere from 200,000, count them, 200,000 soldiers, up to some estimations of 2 million. Well, let's just stick with 200,000. There were no way men of that number fighting, and there were these 300 valiant soldiers who came. And you remember the face-off at the end and what happened to them. Before Leonidas and his men left their home in Sparta, the mothers of those men and sometimes the wives of those men, they had a saying about Spartans. Spartans either come home with their shield or on their shields. These men came home on their shields. They fought to the end. They were valiant men. The Bible carries another 300 story. It's found in the book of Judges. It begins in the sixth chapter of Judges. There's a man named Gideon. He's a wheat farmer. He's in underground, underground. It has open top, but underground. He's 
in an olive press below ground level. Now, if I understand anything, and I don't understand much about threshing wheat, you get the wheat and you throw it up with a, some sort of instrument up on a windy day and the wind catches the chaff, which is the lighter part, and blows it away, and the heavier part, the grain, that which is made into food, bread and other things, to the ground. Well, he's down in this hole threshing and all of a sudden he's shocked because the angel of the Lord shows up and he makes an announcement to this man. He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I can just imagine seeing, he's looking around to see who else is down in there besides him and the angel of the Lord because he knows he, himself to be a gutless wonder at that time, pretty much. And so the Lord says through the Lord of the angel of the Lord, he said, you are going to lead the people of God, Israel, to victory over your nemesis, the Philistines. And he said, not me. And he gave every kind of objection as to why it was not he. But little bit by little bit, he moved in the direction of embracing what he was called to do. And when he called for reserves all over Israel, there were 32,000 men who showed up. That's a pretty sizable army, isn't it? 32,000. And the Lord says, it's recorded in the seventh chapter of Judges, He says, my hand cannot move on your behalf until you get rid of some men. And then He tells him how He gets rid of them. He says, have the men go to the creek to get water and watch how they drink. And if they get on their knees and lap like dogs, then keep them in your army. If not, send the rest of them home. So that's what happened. The result was 10,000 left. So you reduced from 10,000 to 22,000. Still got a pretty good army, wouldn't you say? But then the Lord says, you still got too many. And he says, ask the men, anybody here who's afraid of going against the Philistines, and let me give you a little side note. We know that the Philistines were iron workers, and they had weapons. They had swords, they had spears, they had metal that they could make into the tip of arrows. The Israelis had virtually nothing. We know this because when Jonathan, remember the son of the first king of Israel, Saul, when Jonathan was going into battle against a group, a squad, if you will, of Philistines, the Bible tells us almost as an aside that there were only two of all of Israel's army who had swords. Two, Saul the king and Jonathan the son. So these guys, I mean, they're, I don't know what they had for weaponry, maybe, maybe just clubs or rocks or whatever. They were going after them, 22,000. But when they begin to think of the size, maybe saw the size of the Philistine army, according to the Bible, there were 130,000. 22,000 versus 130,000. Six times more enemies, all probably dressed out in some form of armor and with metal weapons. And this is what God told 
Gideon to say to that 22,000. If any of you were afraid, even if you are able to mask your fear and not tremble on the outside, but you're trembling on the inside, go home. Do you know how many were left? 300. That's the real 300 in history. 300 against 130,000. Read the rest of the story. The reason that they got the success that they did experience was because Gideon took the order from God that was crazy. And he said no to himself in order that he might say yes to God. This is only one illustration that I could allude to in the Bible about how God takes people who are sorely outnumbered, sorely outclassed, and he uses them. I was just reading in the book of Acts this week, the fourth chapter. Some of you are reading along in the map journal. We read chapter four a couple of days ago. Talks about Peter and John. And they come before the Sanhedrin, which was the most powerful body of legislators in Israel. And they were called on the carpet. Two country bumpkin fishermen from Galilee, which would be like hillbilly land in America. And they were called on the carpet before these men. And they said, you guys need to shut up about this Jesus Christ or you're going to get in big trouble. They were intimidating them. They whipped them. And then after they heard them say, that is the leaders, say to these two fishermen, Peter and John, be quiet. This is what they said. We cannot help but tell what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have touched. We can't be quiet. And that this time the head of the tribunal sent the two men off and then one of their leaders say, said, these men are common, uneducated men, but they noticed that they had been with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that can empower you or me, no matter how innately smart we are, how innately handsome or beautiful we are, no matter how much money we have, he's the only one who can empower us to accomplish things that will honor him and that will outlive us because God will use us in this life to impact the future life. So an alternative to his strength is our own strength. It's no match, is it? His or theirs? In the book of Zechariah, the story is told about a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor that had been assigned the task of really being like the king of the exiles who had come back after 70 years of captivity from Babylon back to their homeland. And Zerubbabel was tasked with leading the rebuilding of the temple. The temple had been completely destroyed. It was just a pile of rubble to look at it. In fact, in Zechariah, the Bible calls it a rubble mountain, just a little mountain of just broken stone. And God says, I want you to rebuild this. And he's scared. The Bible says he's scared. Can I do this? I've never undertaken anything like this besides the 
fact that there are detractors here. There are people who are going to oppose us tooth and toenail as we go about what we're going to do. And then God came to him. Listen to what God said to him. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You're going to do this, Zerubbabel. And when he understood that, and he yielded himself to the Spirit of God, he took his eyes off of himself and didn't use himself and his deficiencies, his fears, as an excuse for not following what God gave him to do. It was only when he understood it was the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, God has not given us a spirit, capital S, of fear. And at the head of the list, but one of power. A power that is not innate in us. One which is conveyed to us. Because when a person receives Jesus Christ, Jesus obviously does not set his body down inside of you or me, but he comes to live in us by the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit. You shall receive power, Jesus said, just before he ascended into heaven. You shall receive power when my Spirit comes upon you. And the power which the Holy Spirit gives us, it's basically the nature, the character of Jesus himself. And that power enables us to step out in obedience to the Lord and follow Him and make ourselves useful to Him. Now let's back up quickly from where we started. What is the instruction that God gives to you and to me? Just as surely as He gave it to King David. What is the instruction? Seek the Lord and His strength. Not your strength not your friend's strengths, not the strength of the United States of America, not the strength of any human entity, the strength that can and only comes through the Holy Spirit of God, living in individuals, but in a body of believers. We're also to seek His presence. I've thought about this. Presence, depending on how you're using it in context. Sometimes when I speak of presents, I'm talking about things I got for Christmas. How about you? Presence or presence, what does that mean? Being with us, someone being with us and our being with that someone or somebodies. Look, we live our lives wanting the first kind of present. We want this and we want that. And we want this friendship. We want this honor. We want, we want, we want. When in reality, the presence of the Lord is the presence that enables us to keep all of that in perspective and to get our sense of well-being, and I'll use an overworked term, our sense of self-worth, not from those things, the things that are characteristic of a life without God in terms of what we pursue, but based upon His presence in our lives. And how does this text say in 1611 of 1 Chronicles, we are to seek the Lord in His strength, seek His presence continually. Continually. So let's think together. What does it mean to do it continually and how can we do that? I mean, it's okay for you, Mike. This is what you do for a living. 
Well, I do gain my living from teaching the Bible and ministering to people, but it's not unique to priests or pastors, okay? In fact, it's for you and all of you to have that kind of capacity to continually seek the Lord. Here's how it works. The Bible says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path in Psalm 119, verse 105. I love that. It's a, the thing that God uses. And His Word is accessible to us. It's in the Bible. And if you have a heart to know God and seek Him, you will seek Him when you, and find Him when you seek Him with all your heart. And how you measure that, I'm not altogether sure. Sometimes I wonder if I've ever sought after the Lord with all my heart. And that's not a bad thing to be questioning yourself about so that you don't get the big head about how spiritual you are. But what we want to understand is we're to seek the Lord, His presence continually. How is that possible? Because the Bible says, among other things and in other places, I'm thinking now about Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, that where can I go that God is not present? If I make a, go into outer space, he's there. If I go to the deepest part of the ocean, he's there. doesn't matter where I go, he's there because one of the features of God's name is he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. And we have the capacity to take his word. The Bible says... In Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law, that means the word of God, the teaching, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now look, and then you will be prosperous and successful. I don't believe for a moment that that means simply financial prosperity, although it can result in that, but only secondarily. But what it means is that we want to know God and where does he reveal himself to us? In the scripture. We're learning things hopefully about the Lord and what his plan is for many of you here. I would pray for all of us that we would make this what we think about, what we meditate on daily in this year. It'll make a radical difference in your life personally, but it'll make a big difference when it's happening in many of our lives is we make this our heart and our goal as we read God's word and listen to him and we meditate on his name day and night. If we were to take time, we could go to Psalm 63, 1 and we would hear David write these words. He says, I seek you earnestly. You can't be lackadaisical. You can't be slothful about seeking the Lord. Oh, I'll get around to it you know what usually happens in my life? I'm thinking, I'm going to do it, and it still needs to be done. And it's facing me right there. But the Lord opens the door for us to come close to Him. Can you imagine that God the Father, among all the people in the world, eight, over 8 billion people, we're just a, not even a percentage mark compared to that here today, but God wants to do that for us to reveal Himself and he teaches us personally. That having been said, let's look at the incentives 
and they all have to do with seeking His presence, which ensures the benefits. In Psalm 84.10, the Bible says, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a servant, a doorman in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the world. So what does that mean? We have access to these benefits. Listen to them. Joy. Do you need joy? I asked that to begin the teaching today. Do you need joy? Listen to what the scripture says in Psalm 1611. The scripture says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In his presence, fullness of joy. Now I like being with people. I enjoy being with you. There's rarely uh, an encounter I have that I don't get some enjoyment from. But it's nothing compared to the joy that the Lord gives and is ours in His presence. There's a fullness of joy, a joy that cannot be in any way quenched by any event or circumstance in our lives because we know He's there with us and He provides a future and a hope for us. Also, that same verse says in Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand, and I, I don't have time to go into this, but I want to encourage you to consider co what the Bible says about the right hand of God. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Christmas comes, Christmas goes. The joy of Christmas is knowing Christ, and the joy of Christmas is being with our families, isn't it? It's awesome. We have good memories, but they begin to fade. We don't feel what we feel as we go forward many times. We wish we could capture that experience in a bottle. But the Lord says, you don't need a bottle. All you need is to pursue me in my presence. And you can have a certain level of equanimity in your emotions. And you're not going to be divided or driven by your emotions because you have me in your life. And I'm going to provide you with great pleasure. We're in the book of First Chronicles. I'm going to ask you to look at Second Chronicles, verse 16. 2 Chronicles. We're... In 1 Chronicles, now I'm going to ask you to look at 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. Look at what it says. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Seek the Lord with all your heart and you will find him. That's what the Bible says. We've seen that twice. And what does this say? The eyes of the Lord. The Lord is looking today and wanting you to know Him and wanting you to know Him, not simply as God, but as your Lord. And He will strongly support you. Some of you are in dire need of help in more than one way, various aspects. The Lord is our provider. He's going to take care of us. If we seek Him, John Matthew rather 6.33 says, Seek the Lord in His strength. The Bible says, excuse me, I'm not. Seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness will be added to you. And that results in his support. Protection also. I alluded a little earlier to the right hand of God in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. The word of God, this is God speaking through the prophet. And he says this about the Lord. He says, do not fear. God is speaking. Do not fear for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you. How? With my righteous right hand. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never throw away. No one can take me out of the hand of God. That's the word of God. That's the truth. And in the hand of God, all our needs will be supplied. Provision and support and direction. These things are our birthright if we know the Lord. Isaiah 55, verse 6. You'll turn. I want you to see this with your own eyes instead of my quoting it or reading it. 55, verse 6. Look at it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If the Lord's been speaking to your heart today, he's wanting to reveal himself to you and wanting you to embrace him, not sort of, but fully, so that you can have all the riches of the glory in him. The name Lecrae may mean something to some of the people in the room. He is a strong follower of Christ Jesus. He's been called a trailblazer when it comes to hip-hop music. He recently was part of a film producing and starring in it, a journey to Jerusalem. And he was interviewed by Essence Magazine. And in the process, he was talking about Mary. And he was talking about how she received Jesus into her life and submitted to the Father. And he made this comment. When it comes to the things of the Spirit of God and the things of Christ, they're not things we can achieve. That goes against the grain of me. I've always sought to achieve. It does not come by what we achieve. It comes to us the same way it came to Mary. It comes through what we receive. The Bible says about Jesus, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Would you bow your head? Would you say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you have received Jesus Christ into your life. You've gave him, given him complete control of your life. We're on the doorstep of a new year. This year could be the year for you to begin the greatest adventure you've ever begun. And that is to seek the Lord and his strength, to seek his presence continually, to trust in him and give your life to him for his control. Others of us have walked with the Lord before, but our walk has grown stale. I would imagine there are people in the room who are in that category. 
and we need rejuvenation. Well, if Christ is in you, he's the hope of glory, and Christ is the one who can reignite that in us. Paul says, fan into flame the gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. How do we fan that flame that has grown down to just a few embers that are almost out? We just say, Lord, I need you. I know I do. Lord, forgive me for moving away from you. Lord, take control of my life as I enter this year so that I can be a person that you use to honor you and be a blessing at the same time to others. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of these scriptures that we've shared with each other today. Thank you for teaching us, Holy Spirit. Please make those things that you have said to us stick. And Lord, I pray for the people today here who came to hear you and they have heard you speak to their hearts. Some need to give their hearts to Jesus. I pray right now that they would open their hearts without reservation to you, Lord, and invite you in. And then for those of us who have been following you a long time and we've become complacent in our walk, we pray today would be the day of new beginning for us a day of grace in our lives and a day when you will begin to use us to touch people forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.